Con Radio, presented by Wizard World. Radio for geeks. In a world infatuated with comic fandom comes a show to help us remember the talents that have inspired us and shine a light on those who will inspire tomorrow. This is your tribute to comics and pop culture. This is the Canned Air Podcast on Wizard World's Con Radio. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Canned Air, a tribute to comics and pop culture right here on Wizard World's Con Radio. I am Jeremy Colley, and this is a very special episode we're bringing to you early in the week. This is our coverage of the 2016 Wizard World Columbus Comic Con. Wizard World gave us press passes to come cover the event, and uh, we just had a great time covering and simply attending the convention. It was so much fun, so many great cosplayers, um, a lot of which we're going to have pictures on our Twitter page and on our website uh, you can check out there but yeah we left totally uh, fulfilled with everything we got uh, we feel like we got more coverage than we were uh, even planning on getting so here's what we have in store for you in this episode the first night of the convention the 29th there was an event called heroes honoring heroes where wizard world president john matta and ceo randy malinoff held an event where a bunch of airmen, I guess they would be called, uh, soldiers from the Wright Pat Air Force Base, uh, came out to be honored by Wizard World. It was them kind of uh, honoring real life heroes instead of just fictional heroes. It was really cool. All the soldiers were given uh, shields, Captain America shields. Uh, they looked movie authentic. They looked awesome. Uh, very jealous, but, uh, you know, they totally deserve it more than I do. And also there, giving the shields to the airmen were some of the Wizard World celebrity guests for the weekend. Uh, James Masters and Nicholas Brendan, both from Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Kevin Sorbo of Hercules, and Mitch Pileggi of X-Files and Sons of Anarchy. It was a really cool event. Uh, Jack has purchased a HD video camera that takes some amazing videos, uh, and he filmed the whole event, and it's on YouTube, but uh, should be already up as we speak. So, uh, you know, I'm going to have the audio at the end of this episode for that event, uh, but you can also watch the video on our YouTube channel. But yeah, after the event, we were able to snag a couple interviews, one with Nicholas Brendan and another with Kevin Sorbo. So that'll also be in this episode. Another thing you'll hear coming up here is the, uh, the panel with Amy Jo Johnson that happened, uh, the Pink Ranger from the original Power Rangers series. She hasn't done a lot of these cons in a long time. And I, if I'm not mistaken, it's either this year or last year is her first year coming back onto the con circuit. So it was exciting to see her hear what she had to say we recorded the whole panel and again uh, the audio is going to be in this podcast and also the video is going to be on our youtube channel so you can go there and check it out but before we do all that stuff what would comic-con be without the comics so let's take a trip down artist alley So our first stop in Artist Alley today is with the creator, writer, and producer of the comic Blind Prophet. So sit tight and listen to Jake's interview with Joseph Sillo Jr. of BlindProfitComic.com. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm here at Wizard World Columbus with Joseph Sillo Jr., writer of Blind Prophet. Joseph, how are you doing today? Very well, very well. Good to meet you. Now, um, this caught my eye immediately. Both the title sounds fantastic, very evocative, and I'm liking the art style I'm seeing as well. Could you uh, run through the story a little bit for the listeners? Okay, Blind Prophet's the story of a blind autistic savant 
and uh, they do an operation on him to try to stimulate his vision, and then it gives him the ability to see into the spiritual realm. We start seeing angels and demons, and we can read how the demons are tempting people. It's a fantastic concept. I like the idea that you're pulling from all those religious mythologies and such. Is he aware of what he's seeing, or is this sort of circumstantial to him? Well, as it, when he first starts seeing them, nobody knows what he's seeing. They can't understand what's going on, and they have to figure out that, you know, this is what he's seeing, and then they have to figure out, well, is this really real? Because he's just hallucinating. At least that's what the doctors think. He's hallucinating. So they... Over time, that that the things seem to be corresponding with realities in the world more and more that that they have to pay attention to. He's starting to see the connection between what he sees and what's happening. That's right, right, and it gets really big. So he goes to Washington D.C. So he has a savant ability to play the piano. So he can play anything he hears on the piano, and he wins a contest for the president of the United States. So he goes to Washington, D.C., and he's playing for the president of the United States, and he has a series of visions about what the demons are planning for the United States, which are not good. I would imagine. <laughs> and uh, how many issues do you have out right now? So right now we have four issues that are out. There'll be a total of seven that will complete the storyline. And uh, where is this available? Are you on Comixology or just selling personally here at conventions and things like that? It's only available through the website or at the comic book convention or anywhere else where I might be selling them out of my trunk or whatever. Sure. And uh, what is that website, if you don't mind? The, the website is www.blindprofitcomic.com. That's all one word, Blind Profit Comic. It's easy enough to remember. You see some of these URLs that have some kind of alien code language behind them. And if you don't mind my asking, what was your funding process? Did you handle all of this, um, you and the artist yourself, Kickstarter, anything like that? Well, we did an a, a Indiegogo where we raised a little bit of money to fund the printing of the first episode. But since then, it's mostly been just me funding it myself. We did a little bit of a, a Kickstarter for putting these... First four episodes together into like a trade paperback or a graphic novel, and uh, we tried to raise some money for that, but the Kickstarter didn't raise enough money. So I'm funding it all myself. Too. Well, it's an impressive effort. Everything looks great. Um, what I've seen is awesome. I especially love the concept. Do you have any plans for spin-off comics, sequels, things of that nature? Once you finish your seven-issue run. Well, it is set up for a sequel, but nothing is written. <laughs> so I'd have to figure out what adventure uh, we get into after this one, because this comes to a pretty good stop, but, you know, the, the villains are still around at the end, So, but they're, they, they're kind of defeated and driven off, and I'm sorry, that's a bit of a spoiler. <laughs> I'm sure anyone could imagine a given time we'll see the hero prevail. Well, it looks wonderful. I can't wait to see how it plays out and what comes next. Um, once again, that is blindprofitcomic.com. Blind Prophet, child born blind, seeing beyond the veil. And again, I'm here with uh, Joseph Sillo Jr., who is the writer. Joseph, thank you so much for your time. Thank you very much. And best of luck on your future issues. Um, I'm sure you'll get them out there because the stuff looks awesome. Have a great show. Thank you very much. All right, everyone. And again, that was Joseph Sillo Jr. of BlindProfitComic.com. And like he said, the only place you can get this comic is if you happen to run into him at a convention or on his website, BlindProfitComic.com. So check it out. We'll have links on our website. 
And uh, you can also find him on Twitter at BlindProfit.com. All right, next up on our stroll through Artist Alley uh, is an interview I managed to snag. I'm walking down the aisle, and out the corner of my eye, sitting on a table, I see Wizard Magazine. Now, for those of you who don't know, Wizard World, back in the day, uh, in the 90s, in the early 2000s, had a magazine just called Wizard Magazine that had all kinds of news and uh, information on comics, toys, movies, uh, anything you can find at a Comic-Con you could read about in that magazine. It was fantastic. And uh, there it was. So I went over to the table and uh, got to talking to Victor Dandridge, uh, who is the president and CEO of Vantage In-House Productions. And also, uh, upon talking with him, realizing that he's also a uh, fellow podcaster right here on Wizard World's COD Radio, he is on the Hall of Justice podcast. So I'm just going to turn it over to the interview and let you see how it transpired. So I'm walking down Artist Alley at Wizard World Columbus, and out the corner of my eye, the old-school Wizard magazine laying on the table here. And I get to come over here, and I'm introduced to Victor Dandridge. Thanks for talking with me for a few minutes, man. No, man, thank you. Thank you. Can you tell me about this comic book that looks like the old Wizard magazine? That's incredible. <laughs> thank you. Okay, so what it is is I've always wanted to get a Wizard magazine cover. I mean, name me a comic book artist that, you know, got their start in the 90s, or even earlier, honestly, um, but has been around since Wizard. Oh, yeah. That did want to have that and so with wizard having gone you know through its transition and now becoming wizard world comic con um, i never would have gotten that chance so i was like you know what i've been working with the company i'm gonna ask them would they be you know upset if i made variant covers of my books with a wizard magazine style piece on the cover and they're like you know what? that's hilarious like let us know if it works and i'm like i'm totally doing it so i did four variant covers um and it's just a cool nostalgic piece i mean if you know Absolutely. what it is you you get a laugh out of it if you don't know, I mean, it's cool. People might walk by, but for those of us that are old heads at this, that's a it's a thing. Yeah, you know? that's why I'm here. It drew exactly, me right over, exactly. man. So you you mentioned these are variant covers yes. for a comic that's already existing. Can you tell us about the comic? Absolutely. Um, so I self-published through my imprint, Vantage and House Productions, and uh, I have uh, four major titles uh, through my imprint. Each one falling into a different age group. So our all ages title is Wonder Care Presents the Kindergartens. I do that book with Justin Castaneda. Um, it's a brilliant book. It's essentially Muppet Babies meets the Justice. And so, yeah, it's, it's so much fun. And so we did, you know, a cover for that one. We also did uh, Origins Unknown, which is an anthology series that I do with Jacob Newell. And um, that one's a lot of fun. It's an homage series. Uh, kind of gives some leanings to some of the, the classic DC characters like Superman, Wonder Woman, Green Lantern. Um, and then we also have a... Uh, uh, our young adult title, uh, The Trouble with Love, which I do with Harold Edge and uh, Ryan Carter on Colors. And that one is probably my most critically acclaimed title to date. Uh, we feature a Superman that uh, has a wife and a family but then falls in love with someone else oh, and wow. years later has to explain how human he is to his own kid. Wow. Yeah, I know, right? Like That's heavy. That's deep. That's heavy content. That. that one is a good one. <laughs> um, and last and certainly not least is uh, the Samaritan series that I do with uh, Rin McKenzie. And that one is an urban take on superheroes. It's a guy with no costume, no code name, moves into a crime ring and start systematically cleaning it up. Very hands-on, very aggressive. That one is definitely a mature title. So we did some cool stuff, and uh, I want to give it that classic feel. I think you succeeded, my Thank friend. You. Thank you. Now, uh, one more thing before yeah, yeah. we go. We are actually uh, con radio yes, we neighbors. Are. You're from the Hall of Justice podcast, yes, yes. right? I co-host Hall of Justice with Seth Everett, uh, so you guys can definitely check us out on the Con Radio Network along with you. Yes. Justice and Candare. Check them both out. Do it. <laughs> Thanks so much, man. Thank you, man. It's been great. It's awesome. It's awesome. 
All right, everyone. Again, that was Victor Dandridge, the uh, president and CEO of Vantage In-House Productions. Uh, go over to their website, uh, vantageinhouse.blogspot.com, and check out what they got going on over there. And you can also find him on Twitter at Vantage In-House. And don't forget to check out his podcast, the Hall of Justice podcast, right here on Wizard World's Con Radio. It's conradio.com, or you can go to wizardworld.com and follow the Con Radio link at the top of the page. All right, and our last stop in Artist Alley, but certainly not our least, is at uh, Richard Rivera's table to talk with him about uh, Wild Bull and Chipper Issue 2 that's come out. Uh, Richard is no stranger to Candare. He's been on several times, and uh, he and Wayne Hall came to Columbus last April to help us do our very first convention. Uh, Gave us a bunch of comics to sell. Very, very generous of them, and uh, I thank them again for that. But, uh, yeah, we got to catch up with them and uh, get an interview with Richard on what to expect from the newest issue of Wild Bull and Chipper, issue number two. So, uh, without further ado, here's the interview. Everybody, I am here at Wizard World Columbus with Richard Rivera, writer of Wild Bull and Chipper, Stabity Bunny, to name just a couple. Richard, how you doing today? Great, thanks. Now, we had covered Wild Bull and Chipper uh, in one of our episodes a little while back. Needless to say, we all loved it. Loved the style, loved the jokes, loved the writing. And I'm looking at number two right here. Anything you want to say about Wild Bull and Chipper number two? Well, Wild Bull and Chipper number two is premiering as a Wizard World exclusive, and it couldn't be better timed because that issue's title is Sheep NATO. I think we can all agree, one of the top ten comic titles of all time. <laughs> Might be a little hyperbolic, but I believe it honestly. Um, now, you've retained the same style, I imagine the same irreverent humor. What's going on story-wise in number two? Well, story-wise in number two, we pick up a couple of months after Wild Bull and Chipper first appeared, and now they are actually known worldwide, and they're the first costume superheroes on the planet. Um, as a result, after they have the Brownstone of Justice, which is just has a, a, a banner kind of crookedly hung up in front of Chipper's Brownstone, uh, and they're being interviewed by Don Burgundy, not to be confused with Ron Burgundy, and uh, we find out a little bit more about what's been going on with them. They can't afford to have a full-time job, so they do endorsements instead. And uh, one of Chipper's endorsements that he actually walks out on the commercial is for Fibermax, where he's standing in front of a big wooden dam, and it's like, do you feel like there's a dam between you and regularity? And he goes, I just can't do this, and he walks off stage. Um, now, they also get called out during the interview on the very fir- by their very first supervillain, who is Big Bo Peep, who appears to be turning everybody into sheep, attack killer sheep, and thus thus the sheep NATO, yes. Or maybe just the top 100 titles of all time. um, Don't sell yourself short. (laughs) So uh, we also have a crossover by a rather um, well-known hero who wears a big red S on his chest, very briefly. Um, And we we get the idea on the wrap-up of the issue that maybe isn't all happy about Wobble and Chipper because a big van shows up with a General Ross type character and it says uh, Big Bo is kind of like put on there in paper busters. We get the idea that Bull was right behind that. And Bull's here and he's like, wow, you guys got, looks like those handcuffs are strong enough to hold me. You, you guys built all this just today? That's great, guys. Responding to the supervillain. And we also meet uh, uh, Devoid and Grudge, who were some very um, more traditionally drawn supervillains that appear to be very serious. And they're kind of, uh, you know, they're behind the scenes, they can't see them. And since we are on video, I'll show you Devoid and Grudge. 
And for the people who are just hearing this, uh, check out the video because it's super awesome. These guys, as you can see, after you got Big Bo Peep, who basically looks like a, a very large Bo Peep, we go to Devoid and Grudge, who are much more serious looking sinister look to them. Yes, absolutely. And we find out that we'll be seeing them later. Right now, they're they're tracking down a runaway. But we'll definitely see them uh, before the end of the five-issue arc. Fantastic. All of it looks incredible. Uh, do you have any plans after this issue? Big story reveals, sequels, spinoffs, anything like that? Well, what we've got, issue three, unapologetically, is the all-wrestling issue. Um, so, issue three is the wrestling issue. Issue four... Uh, we discover that they, of course, too, also live in a multiverse, and uh, we meet uh, Wild Bull and Chomper, who this chipper was doing, a, instead of doing a book report before he got his powers on beavers, was doing a book report on Tyrannosaurus Rex. As you do. As you do. So, and, and Bull's going to kind of pine a little bit for having an even cooler sidekick, uh, and actually invite uh, Chomper to stay behind, and maybe Chipper could go on the other Earth and check it out, or have a good time. Just imagining what could have been. Right, exactly. Um, issue five, uh, we run into Bombastic, who he was a hot dog vendor who looks amazingly like uh, um, Napoleon Dynamite. And we find out a little bit more, really, about what's going on, a little bit more why Chipper has his powers, and the fact that they're actually involved in a much larger game that's going to decide the fate of our dimension. So you've taken this concept, these kind of wacky, up-to-no-good superheroes, and you're introducing them to some serious threats here. Obviously, yes. their involvement in all of these conflicts have some serious implications. Yes, yes. Um, at, the, at, the, the, at the end of the second five-issue arc, by issue 10, we will have resolved this larger battle and decided whether or not superpowers will exist in our dimension. That's a pretty serious burden yes. to make that decision. <laughs> yes, and, and unfortunately, the reason Chipper was chosen, we'll find out in a not too, um, not too flattering way, is the fact that this entity chooses his opponent, and he chose the one that's least likely to beat him. Fantastic. Well, Richard, once again, all of this looks incredible. Um, I'm sure the reception's been great. I see people buzzing, flocking to your booth constantly. Yeah, we've been very pleased with the reception. And, uh, of course, this is one of those rare, very rare times when we have our artists here as well. Uh, Dwayne Biddix is the artist for both Stabity Bunny and Wobble and Chipper. And one other announcement, uh, Drew Moss, who's doing Storm Pirates, um, he just got picked up by Image to do the next arc of Copperhead. But he still loves Storm Pirates, and will still be doing Storm Pirates as well. That's fantastic. He can keep to what he loves and make a little extra yes, on the side. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> doesn't hurt to be uh, an image artist, I'm sure. I wouldn't think so. Yeah, <laughs> a label like that. Right. Um, again, man, all of this looks fantastic. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. And you know how to reach us. We'd love to have you back on we'll the show anytime. Soon. Absolutely. Excellent. Glad we to hear it. have something called a Kickstarter going soon. <laughs> What's the name? What can people search for? It's going to be, uh, it's going to, when we launch it, it's going to be Stabity Bunny, but for Stabity Bunny 4, uh, which is also going to lead into a uh, trade paperback with story content, which we didn't have the room to include in the first four issues. 
So they're getting something new. Getting something new and things that are actually part of the story, not uh, just conjured for extra content. <laughs> Half-finished sketches in the back of the book that no one particularly cares about. Right, right. Or, you know, so what was that, that uh, gas station attendant doing while you were having your battle? really care. Right, right. But this actually includes things like um, semi-spoiler alert in issue three, um, Grace is told um, a, a fairy tale of sorts, which actually does tie into what is going on in the larger picture uh, by her great-grandfather. Now, we see her go in, and we see her talking about that story in issue three, but we never saw that story. So we're going to tell that story, and also some of the pieces that were missing when certain characters exit stage left, but they still are up to something that is important. Fantastic. Well, I and the whole crew are excited to see how this plays out. Wild Bull and Chipper, Stabity Bunny, the whole run. And I want to thank you again for your time. Thank you, sir. All right, everyone. And that was our interview with Richard Rivera. Be sure to check out everything he's got going on, like Stabity Bunny, Storm Pirates, and Wild Bull and Chipper. Uh, go to stabbitybunny.com and you can find Richard at Stabity Bunny on Twitter. Be sure to also check out Dwayne Biddix at DwayneBiddix.com. You can find him on Twitter at DLX underscore artist. And also be sure to check out Wayne's Comic Podcast on Majorspoilers.com and you can follow him on Twitter at Wayne's Comics. And again, I'd like to take another opportunity to thank Richard and Wayne and everyone over at Think Alike Productions for all the support they've shown the podcast. All right, now let's move on to a couple interviews we were able to snag from a few of the celebrity guests attending the Wizard World convention this weekend. First, we got to talk with Nicholas Brendan of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. He played the character Xander Harris. Uh, Jake did this interview as he's a huge Buffy the Vampire Slayer fan, so uh, who better to do the interview, right? So here is Jake's interview with Nicholas Brendan. Ladies and gentlemen, I am thrilled to be here today with actor Nicholas Brendan Xander from Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Mr. Brendan, how are you today? I'm doing very well. How are you? Fantastic. Thank you. Uh, jumping right in, I was really excited to see your involvement in the Buffy comic book series. Mm -hmm. Season 10 as a writer. What's that been like for you? It was, uh, it was just a different, I mean, it was kind of nice just to be a part of the uh, actual creating of it, you know, of the world, instead of just saying the words. Sure. And then writing the words that I, that I then said. So it was just nice to be on that side of it. Yeah. Right. To be able to take control of the evolution of the character must have yeah, been Yeah, I mean, I controlled all of season 10. That was, uh, yeah, I was the Joss of season 10. That's quite an honor, yeah, right? Quite a title. Yeah, don't tell you any differently. Because they'd be lying. <laughs> Plenty of liars yeah, out there, Yeah, they're a bunch of liars. And something I wanted to ask you about that some of the fans may not have seen much of, but certainly should, uh, you did a lot of work with the Blank Theater Company in Los mm -hmm. Angeles, didn't you? I did. I uh, probably five or six plays with them. One of them was a one-man show. Uh, it was a David Sedaris piece called The Santa Land Diaries, where I play a gay elf. I had actually read the uh, Santa Land Diaries. Fantastic oh, it's stuff. Great. It's just so funny, and I had a blast doing it, yeah. And I uh, saw the production of Lobster Allison. Well, like, I, yeah, that was my first play ever. Was it really? Yeah. You brought a fantastic energy to it. Yeah, I didn't know. I mean, uh, yeah, I was on stage from beginning to end. I think I left once to get a, a, a spoon or some tea, and I'm like, you know. No pressure, right? None at all. None at all. Would you consider doing more stage acting in the Absolutely. future? Absolutely. I love it. Yeah. Excellent. And what attracted you to it to start with? I think, you know, I, I, I had time. 
time to do it at that point because up until that point I was pretty busy uh, doing um, the TV stuff and I was asked and, and uh, you know Noah was a, Wiley was a part of it and, and the, the, that bastard he, um, he's got a photographic memory so he was off book within like three days and uh, it's my first play and I'm like tearing my head I'm sorry I'm like tearing my hair out I'm like damn it yeah, so. some stiff competition yeah. and I've got another question for you this one's just for me mm -hmm. um, the Buffy versus Dracula art sees you under Dracula's thrall mm -hmm. and the scene where you go full Renfield and eat a spider yeah. probably my favorite I have to ask they didn't force you to eat a spider for that no scene. no but I did do it just because I felt like doing it I respect that I that's committed I am protein <laughs> absolutely and the other thing that line after you've broken his influence where you say where's the creep who turned me into a spider eating man bitch yeah, yeah. Probably my favorite line in the series. Were you able to handle that in one take? No laughing. No I was. My favorite line is that it comes from that episode. Was um, when I it was during that scene, and I say, "Oh, this will not please the master," and then I say, "Oh, you know, this will not please the the Dark Lord Bader." And this will not please the master Bader. Oh, the, the, this one, the Dark Lord Bader. I, that's that was my favorite. A little Freudian slip. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Fantastic, uh, Mr. Brennan. Thank you so much for taking the time, and I really appreciate. And on behalf of the audience, thank you for the characters, stories we love. Okay, Have thank you so show. much. Take care. Okay, and again, that was our interview with Nicholas Brendan of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And be sure to check out that comic series they were talking about. It sounds really freaking awesome. And you can find him on Twitter at Nicholas Brendan. All right, next up, I got to talk with the ever-awesome Kevin Sorbo, who you know as Hercules from Hercules, The Legendary Journeys, and you'll know him as Captain Dylan Hunt from Andromeda. I got to ask Kevin a few questions about each of those roles, and then got to talk to him about a project he's currently working on. So, I'll just let you listen to it yourself, my interview with Kevin Sorbo. I'm standing here a bit nervous, <laughs> I might say, with the legendary Kevin Sorbo. Thanks for talking with me. For my pleasure. Good to be here. Have you ever uh, done any of these Wizard World conventions before? I do. I probably do about four or five a year with these guys. They're great. I think they're the number one in the whole country. I think they do 25 or 30 a year. Yeah. So yeah. you see exclusively with Wizard Not exclusively. No, I do other ones as well. Okay. I've done Dragon Con down in Atlanta, you know, sure. Comic Con in San Diego. So, no, I don't. they're not exclusive, but they're probably ones I do the most. Anything about the Wizard World convention that stands out to you? Well, I think what Wizard does is they... they they kind of they're kind of controlling it right now. I think they, they're one of the better ones to deal with. Right. They're they're they their team they put together. They know what they're doing when they come to whatever city they go to. They plan it out properly and. Uh, Fans seem to be happy with them all the time, so they do a great job. They definitely deliver. Yeah, that's for sure. Well, uh, did you yourself grow up with uh, reading comics? I did. did I did. What'd you read? Um, well, I was always making Batman and Superman, but when I got to, what's interesting is that when I got my junior high years, I got heavy into mythology, and to end up playing Hercules one day in my yeah, life right. it was pretty funny. <laughs> and I, I I love those kind of books. So, and obviously Hercules was my favorite character. Sure, it was an amazing show yeah. as well. Oh, so thank, uh, you. thank you for that. Uh, is it true you did all your own stunts on that show? I did. I would say without lying, at least 95% of them, yeah. That's amazing. Any, stupid. <laughs> any serious injuries? Well, the worst one is I, I got a sword to the back of the head, and I woke up in the hospital with concussion in 13 oh stitches. And luckily, I got hit with the flat side. If you hit me with that side, I'd probably be dead right now. So they were, and were it they was, it was sharp swords? They were, they were sharp enough. They were heavy. We ended up, we ended up going, getting away from steel and going to aluminum. Wow. So they were blunt, but they, I mean, at that, sure. at that speed. It's going to hurt. Oh, it hurts. I was, right. I was knocked out. They brought me to the hospital and concussion and stitches and the whole thing. But I got plenty of after effects. I mean, I've, sure. I've had three knee surgeries since then. I've had, really? well, you know, a lot of, lot yeah. of running around, a lot of fighting and a lot like of uneven territory, too. a lot of working out. Yeah, because I've played football and basketball in my life, too. So right. Very cool. It adds up. Now, uh, in uh, Andromeda, 
you played uh, Dylan Hunt. Yeah. Uh, now, this was the first captain, space captain, that Gene Roddenberry created other than... After Kirk, after I was Kirk. the first one. He wrote the series back in 1969. They had canceled uh, uh, Star Trek after three seasons. Right. Because at the time, they thought it was a failure. Right. The most successful three-year history <laughs> show of all time. But um, uh, I got called from Major Roddenberry. I was about to sign on to seasons eight, nine, and ten of Hercules. I was living in New Zealand. Wow. So I filmed it. And I was more than willing to do it, but then Major Roddenberry called. And you got to understand, as a kid, I grew up with all the reruns of, of sure. Star Trek. So from junior high to college, I probably saw every episode 50 times. So for That's me to do something that Gene Roddenberry created, I wish I would have met him. He died in the early 90s. Sure. But uh, to meet uh, Majel and have her call me directly and say, Gene would have loved you to play this captain. And That's I was like, I said, I don't even need to see the script. I'm in. What an honor. That was bad. And we had five years. We would have gone longer. We're the number one show in first run syndication. Stargate never beat us in the ratings yet. They got a 10-year run. Right. But because we were owned by Tribune Company, which went bankrupt, they had to freeze all their assets. And unfortunately, we were like one of the ones making money for them. And now with like mediums like Netflix, always a possibility. It'll be out next year. Finally, it's coming out on DVD. I have one full season, 110 episodes at the desk that I'm selling out. To hopefully, no sell. kidding. Yeah. Now, any chance of those uh, last seasons that didn't get made ever being remade? I don't think this late. I don't no. think this late. I wish I'd do it. Sure. But it's Absolutely. you know it's 10 years later. Yeah. But I, would I do it? Yeah, I'd do it. Yeah, fans would love it. I obviously. would love it. Yeah. I just sold a pilot to NBC, so knock on wood that gets picked up, and we'll see what happens. Here's Root. It's a one-hour drama, so we'll see. Sure. Well, I want to talk, yeah. uh, touch okay. on that a little bit. Uh, one thing I did want to touch on with you is I saw Juliet. I've seen you, you know, as yeah. the heroic role, but this was the first time I'd seen yeah. you in anything remotely creepy, and you were creepy. My I friend. liked it. I'm a little frustrated what happened. Here's what happened. That movie is supposed to have a theatrical release. The producer, the guy who financed the movie, and the director got a big fight over creative control and licensing and distribution. It was in courts for over three years. By then, it killed the project. Right. So it got out in a few places in Europe, but, you know, and DVD got out. But to me, it was frustrating because I think that would helped me a lot within the Hollywood world instead sure. of just saying, oh, he's that hero guy. And instead of saying, because I, I had fun playing a, playing a creepy serial killer. Oh, you were great, uh, man. Thanks, man. I, I, was, I was nervous at first. Like, <laughs> man, how's it going to do? I've never seen, yeah. you know, anything other than hero role. You nailed it. it was Very fun. diverse. Thank you. I appreciate it. Um, jumping back to this pilot mm -hmm. you said you have in the works. What's that about? It's, it's called The Miracle Man. Okay. Um, it's a faith-based drama. It deals with the military, actually. I'm a, I'm a ranger in Afghanistan. Really? I play a leader of a group that everybody dies but me, and I don't know why. I'm an agnostic character, and he doesn't understand why he was saved. So it's his journey within his faith. Because as he died, his best friend, as, as they were blown up, his best friend looked at him and said, Take care of my daughter. And he died. And he wakes up in a coma 10 days later. And he, and he knows what he saw, and he knows something. So it's not touched by an angel, it's punched by an angel. It's, 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 not a, it's not sappy at all. Right. It's his journey, and wherever he goes, something good happens. And he doesn't understand why. So he That's doesn't amazing. walk on water. It's just small sure. little things. But it was NBC loves it, Sony loves it, but they haven't given us the green light yet. Well, I'm really hoping to see that yeah, on me television, too. We'll man. see what happens. That's awesome. That's yeah. awesome. Well, it's been amazing to take a few minutes to talk with okay, you, cool. Kevin. Um, thank you. Thank you so much. Man, it was so awesome to talk with him. Again, ladies and gentlemen, Kevin Sorbo. You can check out everything he's up to at kevinsorbo.net, and you can find him on Twitter at ksorbs. 
All right, Power Ranger fans, this is the panel you've been waiting for, or at least the one I was waiting for all day long, the Amy Jo Johnson panel, Pink Ranger from the original series. It was a lot of fun to uh, finally see her out at a convention. Uh, the crowds around her were crazy, so I didn't get to meet her one-on-one, but we got to cover the panel and uh, get the audio from that and also the video. So uh, again, this is going to be on YouTube. Everything you're hearing in this podcast is going to be uh, in video format as well on our YouTube channel, so be sure to check that out. This panel was moderated by Liz of Con Radio's very own Pure Fandom, talking TV with Liz and Lindy, and uh, she did a very great job, I might add. So I'll just stop jabbering and give you the panel with Amy Jo Johnson. Sold out like four times that day. Oh my gosh. It was insane. Yeah. And then 
we had to like come out, rip our helmets off, and then we were like screaming. And, and I remember I was like, I had the microphone and I was so nervous. And I kept yelling into the microphone because everyone's going, Woo! And I remember I kept like, Woo! And I was like, I guess it hurt everybody's ears. And they were like, Stop <laughs> You're excited. I was scared. Uh, like, I was so scared. I went home that night and I had awful, awful nightmares. It scared the crap out of me, you guys. I didn't like it. Well, we love you. Well, not today, today, but I just I didn't let, I didn't like how popular it got so fast and overnight. I was not prepared for that. Yeah, yeah. Because you were um, a, like a pro gymnast, R, I guess, pro gymnast. So that. I show you a back, <laughs> no, I, yeah. Um, I I don't think you can go pro. Wouldn't that be cool? Like, and you don't ever get paid. Like, you can go pro. Or is it? Well, Rich, well, you I were. Was a, I was a gymnast. I would, yeah, I can, yeah. yeah, I had quit when I was seventeen. Not quit. I retired. No. Um, I got scared. I got like something called. Um, what do we just call it? The chicken. <laughs> I got the chickens, guys. I totally got the chickens. The twisties. I got the twisties. All of a sudden, I got in my head, and every gymnastics move I did, I would twist. It was so dangerous. I would like do a backflip, and then I would just twist. So I had to quit. But you did a lot of your stunts on set, though, right? Yeah, I got yeah. I got through the twisties on <laughs> set. <laughs> I had to. Yeah. And but and then I was only doing like backhand swings and like. Or I remember like we would make up our own little like fighting routines and I remember one fun thing to do was like kick someone, they grab your foot, and, like, like lift you up and throw you into a backflip. That was a good one. <laughs> <laughs> Terrifying. <laughs> uh, fan questions up here. Hey, John. Hi. I think uh, I speak for most, if not everybody here in Columbus, that we're finally glad to have you here. So you may or may not have gotten this question a lot, so if not, then I'll go ahead and ask, how do you feel about the reboot project? You know, I'm super excited to see it. I'm really curious. The casting is kind of incredible, and... Um, Elizabeth Banks is awesome, and I think, I, I don't know, I hope we'll be surprised. Aren't they doing like eight of them or something like that? I think, I heard it was going to be like a probably, like they're just going to keep going. I guess it depends on how the first one does. It looks cool though, right? Are you guys excited for that? Yeah. Don't forget about us little original ones. <laughs> Thank you, Angel. Yeah. So my question is relating to the movies as well, the older movies. Uh, you About the which movie? The older movies. Oh, the older movies. I thought you so, said the order movie, because you know that movie that all the other rangers are making? <coughs> called the order movie. Oh, you guys should check it out. Go to the, what is it, theordermovie.com or something? So Karen Ashley and David Yost, and I think actually John Young Bosch and Karen are the producers. And then, yeah, you got to check it out. They, so they just raised, I think, like $134,000 or something like that on Indiegogo. And they're going to shoot in October. And they're gonna, they have already written the script, and they're going to make this, like, like, it's not a Power Rangers movie by any means, but it's, like, all, I think there's, like, 20 people from different 
and they would treat each episode as if they were creating its own little movie. And I found the other actors on the show incredible, and like, even like Gary Russell is doing the Americans now, and Scott Speedman is on, The one thing that did happen while I was doing Felicity, um, actually during the pilot, my mom was diagnosed with cancer, and then she passed away literally, I think two episodes in, and they had to stop production for me to go home and be with her and say goodbye. Um, so then when I went back, I think I was in a bit of a, like a, a daze for a year while filming, and I actually, after two seasons, I don't know if you remember, but I, I left, and I asked J.J. Abrams, who was the producer, if I could leave, which is crazy looking back. It, like, it was like the high point of my career, and I, I had to ask him, because um, yeah, I think I needed to go dream. I just needed to go. That's understandable. I lost my mom at a young age, and I was actually in um, depression for about two, so I oh my god. So, so you know what? Thanks, thanks, and I really love Felicity. Oh, yeah. No, losing your mama is so hard. I don't know if anybody else has. It's like, you know, I read in a book somewhere that when you, the age you are when your mom dies, is the age you'll be, like, stunted for the rest of your life. So I'm forever 28. But you look at that for sure. I don't know. I'm so sorry, but I haven't watched any of it. <laughs> I honestly, I think I've seen like maybe three or four of the ones I was in. I, I never really watched. The, I haven't even seen any flashpoints. Um, I did watch a few episodes of Power Rangers with my daughter a couple years ago. Did she like it? She thought it was okay. <laughs> She's not that into it. Oh, well. <laughs> she told me the other day we were driving, and I was like, she said, Mom, have you ever been disappointed in life? And I said, she's seven. <laughs> and I was like, you know, I always used to think I was going to become like the next Julia Roberts, and it just it didn't happen. And she goes, yeah, yeah, you never were, were really a big hit. <laughs> I was like, yeah, no. No, she said, yeah, you never were really that big of a hit. And I said, yeah, no, I guess I never was. <laughs> funny? I think mean, that's so funny. And then we were walking down the street maybe like two weeks later, and somebody recognized me, and I signed something or whatever, and then walked away, and I looked at her, and I'm like, Hmm? <laughs> maybe, maybe I am a big head. <laughs> that person. You actually do uh, music as a big passion of yours as well, and you came out with an album a few years ago, right? So how um, how how much do you focus on music now, or how does that influence? So I, I music has always been sort of a passion and a hobby that I do when I feel like I need to be creative and I don't have an acting job or, or something. And then in the last, I guess, five years, um, I've 
really switched my passion into writing and directing. And so I, I did, I've done three short films and then one feature film, which is coming out in 2017. It's called The Space Between. Um, but I'll get back to that in a second. The first, um, no, it was the second um, short film I did. Well, actually both short films. I did Indiegogo campaigns for to raise the money to, to shoot them. And so I decided I hadn't created an album in almost 10 years. And I was like, you know what, I'm going to say that I'm going to be releasing an album on Indiegogo so that I would like kick myself in the butt and write an album and do the album. Yeah. <laughs> so I did that. So I sold the album to raise money for Lines, a short film that I did, which you can check out online on YouTube, on my YouTube channel, you can see it. Um, or on the actually the spacebetweenfeaturefilm.com website. Um, the Lions movie is on there right now. And so that album is called Never Broken. Um, and you can get it on CD Baby or on my website. Anyway, um, and I had so much fun writing and, and making that album. And it kind of comes in waves. Like right now, I'm just so driven with writing and directing. And I'm working on my second feature film. It's called My Heart Is In My Head. And um, and I can only do really one creative thing fully at a time. So, and I know that there's some people, some of you may be sitting here, one of the, one of the perks um, for the space between Indiegogo campaign was I sold, I said I would write you a song and um, a pa- paint you a painting. Well, I did all the paintings. I have 10 songs to write, and I am so sorry. It's been a year, and I still haven't written those songs, because I'm so, because it, it, right. We don't want them to, like, be rushed, you know, or, yeah, so the thing was, you could write me a letter, and then I'll write a song based off of the letter that you've written me. So I feel like I'm, when I get the mental space and the time, I'm really excited to actually sit down and um, create a new album maybe called Letters or something that's based off of all of these, these um, songs I have to write. <laughs> but I will at some point. But I, I thank God, I think the people who actually bought that perk, because it's quite a bit of money, um, have been supporting me for so long that they're being very, very forgiving. And so I think that they're okay with the fact that it's taken me a really long time to write these songs. But I will at some point. I have a half of one done. There you go. You started. <laughs> so tell us about the space between. Oh, okay. So yeah. it's so Jessica Adams is over there. She produced it with me. She's fantastic. Um, and it's a heartfelt comedy. And it's, it's it's about a guy who discovers that his child is not his own, and that his wife had taken his infertility into her own hands, and she sleeps with the busboy at work to get pregnant. Yeah. Right? And he happens to be a redheaded university student. So then the baby is redheaded, and they don't. And so the movie starts off with um, this guy Mitch discovering this about his child, that it's not his, and so he takes off on this... this um, uh, what's it called? Road trip to go find the biological baby daddy. Yeah. But it, it is a heartfelt comedy. Exciting. And when can we... When so right now we're doing festivals. We just went to Shanghai. We went to China for the Shanghai International Film Festival. It was our world premiere festival. And then... Um, 
we're going to do festivals throughout the fall. And so the first one we know about, there may be some before, but we definitely know for sure we're going to be in Carmel International Film Festival, um, which is October 20th. And we're actually the opening film of the festival, which is on October 20th. If anybody, you guys don't know in Carmel. But if you feel like going to Carmel, Stacy, Kira, yeah, it's going to be so fun. It's, so they, it's the most beautiful festival, and they um, do like a wine and food thing beforehand. And then in a 700-seat theater, we're going to watch the film with Matthew Modine's short film as well, and he'll be there. The whole cast is going to be there. They're bringing out the whole cast for this. And then there's an after party. Um, it's going to be awesome. And then we just got into Whistler as well, which is the uh, in Vancouver, the Whistler Film Festival. So we'll get probably do about 10 festivals in the fall. And then starting hopefully January, February 2017, we're going to um, release the movie in The Plan of Attack is, which is all the details aren't worked out. But we want to do a Comic-Con tour <coughs> with the film. So like say tonight, we all went to a movie theater together and watched film, wouldn't that be fun? So, yeah. So we're going to do sort of like a grassroots little theatrical tour that way, and also release it, hopefully, on um, iTunes and other platforms online at the same time. Awesome. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. Actually, I had a comment about lines, too. I saw it the other day, and I think it's a really great, has a really great message and a really great film. But, um, my question is, is, I'm 30 now, and I'm a professor, and I'm trying to balance everything in my life, but I'm also an amateur musician and filmmaker. I've had three films at, at documentary film festivals, um, and it's really hard to try to balance all of those things. So tell me about like your creative process and how you balance all of those things, plus motherhood, plus... Yeah, yeah, it is hard. And for me, I really can only do one thing at a time. I've sort of, I've put my acting career kind of over here on hold for a while while I really truly focus on writing and directing um, and balancing being a mom, which uh, being a mom, as a lot of you moms know, comes with a lot of guilt for some reason. I'm not exactly sure, but because when I'm working, I feel so guilty. And then when, anyway, that's a whole other thing. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I don't know. I, you know, honestly, I think everybody struggles with that, and it's just sort of for me, I can only do what I love to do. So if I'm doing something that doesn't make me happy, then I, I won't do it. <laughs> no, I'm done. I can't do it. <laughs> I've looked too. I mean, I asked to leave Power Rangers because I was done. I wasn't happy anymore. I asked to leave Felicity because I was done. I was very sad and needed to go cry somewhere. Um, and yeah, I've always been that way. I kind of not driven by money or I'm really driven by what's happening inside of my heart, I guess. And if it feels like I'm going in the right direction, then I keep going on. If it doesn't, then I... Yeah. And don't feel bad about not finishing those songs. I haven't written a song in 10 years, and I wrote nine in the span of one, so totally understand. Right? So if I'm hoping I can write, you know, 10 in a day. No. <laughs> You have to feel a lot in that day, right? Right? They're all going to be the same songs. <laughs> so with the different projects that you're doing, do you have a specific genre that you're like, I just, you know how some 
writers and directors, you know, they just, everything has a similar feel to it? Or it sounds like you're inspired by just different life experiences and influences. Yeah, I think I definitely do have a, a, a certain style and tone to all of my writing and, and directing and, or filmmaking at this point. And I really like to take hard topics or hard um, things that we go through. Like the space between really is about divorce, infertility, there's a little girl in it who struggles with um, cutting. There's um, uh, her mother had, had committed suicide, and so there's all. I, but within the film, it is a heartfelt comedy. So I like to take these heavy topics and find the levity and find the humor around it because I, I think in life it can be quite painful, but we have to figure out how to laugh our way through a bit. So that's kind of what I like to do. And I think my sense of humor can be quite dry as well. Yeah, so. so yeah, so My Heart is in My Head, which is the next film that I'm working on that for the second um, feature is, is the same sort of thing. Um, it's not the same sort of thing at all. It's a completely different movie. But <laughs> the same vibe with making, not making finding, the le finding the levity yeah. in, in some, some difficult stuff. Yeah, so that one, just really quick, so I'm excited about it because I'm writing it right now, is um, it's about this woman who's turning 35, and she um, was a, ho a Hollywood actress, and she ends up, her mom dies, and she ends up um, um, needing to kind of go grieve. <laughs> and, she's and she's panicking that she hasn't had children yet. And so she asks to leave this like really big show that she's on, and she ends up in Montreal, where she follows this guy because um, she's decided that he's the one who she's going to marry and have babies with. But he does not know that yet. <laughs> um, and so yeah, it's kind of about her sort of unraveling and jumping off the Hollywood train. It's nothing to do with me. <laughs> <laughs> so do you have any? Um, Sounds awesome, by the way. I'm like super excited for your project. Um, are there any writers or directors that you are just, they're your role models, you know, you kind of, or they inspire you? Yeah, I'm, I'm really inspired by the style of uh, Zach Braff. I really love his movies, like Garden State. I, I, yeah, I, I just, I love his films. Um, and then also, oh, there's a lot of people that inspire me, but. Um, <laughs> There's this Canadian director, her name is slipping my mind, Tara Pauly. I don't know if you guys have seen any of her films, but she did a movie called Away From Her. Anyway, she inspired me maybe about five years ago. I heard somebody talking about her on set, maybe six years ago, on set while I was filming Flashpoint. And they were like, that girl, that girl, she just, she just does it. You know, she says she's going to go make a movie, and she just does it. And I remember sitting in the car overhearing this conversation, and I was like, I can do that. I'm going to go do that. I want somebody to say that about me. I'm going to go do that. Because I've, I've always wanted to direct, but I, I guess I just wasn't ready. I didn't have the confidence yet to think that I actually could go do it. Um, and so that helped. She, her career has helped inspire me to just go do it. That's awesome. Do you have any advice for people that may want to start writing or directing? And you obviously had awesome experience and foundation and seeing it with all the projects that you were in, but what would you recommend to people that are looking that, that are, want to become filmmakers? Yeah. Um, yeah, for me, I think I was 
um, less than lucky to have worked for 23 years as an actress pretty consistently. Um, and I think being on set was, was pretty much my, uh, my schooling for that. And although I'm learning and learning and learning and learning, and each project is like a learning curve. It's, I'm just, you know, keep on growing, right? But I think for people, um, like I said, I don't know, I, I moved like to do things that make me happy and inspire me. So, Oh, I don't know. Like, like, I don't know. Who's the guy who just got up? I guess you just go buy a camera and write a movie and shoot it. Just do it. Just <laughs> <laughs> do it. Yeah. Get after it. Yeah. Hi, Amy. Um, Hi. <clears throat> I just wanted to let you know that uh, growing up in school, I would, I would always get bullied because of being in a wheelchair. And... Uh, it would always put me in impression, and uh, I would come home and watch you on TV, and it made me happier seeing you. Uh, your old, your char- oh, I don't know if it's your personality or the characters that was always happy and cheery. And it would put me in little did you know, I was so tormented inside. No, um, yeah, I, you know, I love, I love hearing that, and. That's the thing about, like, in the last couple years, I think, I've really sort of embraced the fact that I was a Power Ranger and that was my first job that I ever had. And in doing that, um, I've been able to embrace all of you guys. I don't know why I didn't cry. <laughs> so silly, but I just, you know, I really, I'm, I'm starting to really appreciate what that show did for, for like, what, exactly what you just said. I think it's pretty awesome. Thank you. Yeah. I have three little brothers, and that show is like, well, and like the Power Rangers franchise, there's such a nostalgic tie to it. That's why people try to, you know, you watched it with your family or your friends, and so um, it's just awesome. Have you guys watched that new show that's pretty nostalgic? Um, Is it Stranger Things? Oh my gosh. How scary is that show? And it's so nostalgic, right? Yeah. I'm kind of loving it. I did watch it with Frankie, and I said that was a mistake. It's like one episode, and I'm like, it is is like Goonies, but it's stronger than Goonies. Yeah. Isn't it? Yeah. It's really scary. So we watched one episode together, and I think I'm like, I'm going to nix that. I think it's been a few years. She's only seven. Um, well... I don't, well, yeah. It gets, did you watch more than one episode? I watched the second one by myself, and I really missed having her to hide behind. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's scary. Breaking. I actually, I was running under a bridge, like, and it was after I finished the series, and it, you know how, like, you can hear, like, the cars or whatever, and I like, took my headphones out, and I was like, here, the devil's working. Jessica watches it, and she, like, she can't watch them all by herself either. Enough about Stranger Things. It's an interesting way to shoot, though. Did you, um, with the different films that you're making, or not series, of course, but when you, what do you think about these shows now shooting all at once, and then they just, you know, binge it? I it. love that. You know, yeah. I, I don't mind the whole new way that television is. I think there's so much awesome shows out there now. And I think like the level of what is good and what we like has risen so high. Um, you know, they make, I mean, television is just really good. It's better than most films. Like, yeah. a, a really good series. And I think I think it's a really fun time to be alive and enjoy watching this stuff right now. Because, like, there's so much to choose from. 
Um, yeah, it's an interesting time of television. And isn't it cool that back in the 90s it was like movie stars and TV people. And now there's really no difference and all the big movie stars do TV because the TV is just as good as the, the quality's jumped up, budget's jumped up, yeah. Well, I don't know if budgets have jumped down. <laughs> I think budgets have jumped down and the quality jumps up, which is crazy. Like the ambition that these shows have are incredible. Awesome. <clears throat> yeah. Hey. Hi. You know, you know, watching you back when this first started back in 93, and here I am, I mean, 20 years later. And, 20 you know, years and trying to, you know, finally get to meet you. And um, also, and I was wondering, though, do you stay with, do you stay in contact with the others? I do. You know, David Yost is a really, really good buddy of mine. Um, we just were on Cape Cod together for a week. Um, <clears throat> and he actually is such a good friend that right before I shot The Space Between last year, I called him out of the blue, and I was like, I'm so nervous, oh my god. Do you think you can come? And he's like, sure, he bought his plane ticket and he like came. He came for a week and he whooped that crew into shape. <laughs> Have you ever met David? He's quite bossy. Um, but he's awesome. He's the most generous human being I've ever met. But if you didn't know him, I told him this last week too. If you didn't know him, you first met David, he's so direct. And he is so, he's an incredibly direct person and the most generous person. But if you don't know that he has a generous side, you think he's a real ass from the person. You kind of get to know him and then you're like, oh my God, this is the person you want like on your side at all times. And um, also, I got another question also. Um, back whenever uh, they uh, switched over to... Uh, like the Thunder Zords. Can you still uh, can you still do the uh, uh, the move that you used to do when you caught up on it? Can you show me that? Move? <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea what it would be. What is it? My my thun was it when I was a crane or something? Oh no. No, it is when you caught on the uh, the, the third. I was a firebird. Thing. Yeah. Was that right before I left, I became a firebird or something? Uh, <laughs> you have no idea. You don't even want to know what I was doing. While we're, I shouldn't even tell you what I was doing while we were filming that show. I was 21, right? We were, I was partying with the crew. <laughs> I really was. I remember one time, we were up in our resorts, and I was sitting out there, and I was dating one of the guys. I was dating this grip. And I knew that they were down there smoking pot, and I, I shouldn't even talk about this. <laughs> and I remember just like, hi, guy. I don't know why I'm whispering. I'm walking out into my ranger outfit in this door, looking at the crew, going, what are we doing?
it's not the girl, it's the character she plays. This Ariana Grande, who's very cute and sweet and has a great little voice, she plays a character called Cat on what's on the show? Do you know what the show I'm talking about? And Frankie cannot stop talking like this little girl. And this little girl on the show talks like an airhead and just like, huh? Oh. Oh, sorry, I forgot I was talking. Like, that's like Episodes in the Power Rangers that tend to stand out are the episode, uh, the arcs that take over plays over more than one episode, the Green Ranger, the White Ranger. Are there any one-off monsters that really stood out to you while filming? That guitar. <laughs> <laughs> and then there was a plant that was attacking me too, right? Oh no, is the guitardo coming during the plant episode? Bloom of Doom? Is there a guitar? <laughs> The son of Guitardo? Was he in Bloom of Doom? Was that a plant attacking me? What was that? It was plants! Wait, what state were you? <laughs> um, yeah, there was that. stuff with David Yost. We got to switch characters one time, or one time he became bad and he stole the way I was portraying the bad person. I'm kidding, kind of. I remember I came up with this voice, like, my bad voice or something, and all of a sudden he's like, yeah, me too! And I'm like, hey! You're all bad boys! Hi, I'm Joe. Um, I'm say the Sutter Park Elementary Power Rangers Fan Club. Uh, welcome to you to Columbus. Uh, thank you for, for stopping and, and uh, spending time with us. Um, as one of the original, like, you know, I would say empowered women in television, um, nowadays with, you know, with being such an issue, do you feel like you're taking on any more as far as that respect? Uh, you know, so far as like, hey, you know, we've been doing it for a while, like, I've been there, or do you feel um, the need to like, get out there and show kind of like that, that, you know, uh, I don't know the question I'm trying to ask. But, yeah, uh, I don't know. Well, I, I kind of understand what you're trying to ask, <laughs> but I don't, my brain doesn't think like that. <laughs> no, it, my brain thinks, but it doesn't think, <laughs> it, it doesn't, I am not that little cat. <laughs> my brain, no, not that cat, the cat, the, the other cat, the Ariana Grande. Like, so I don't really, I've never looked at what was stopping me and gone, oh, like, I've always just been a person, uh, I know what I want to do, I'm just going to go do it, and I just don't look at, I just go do it. So I'm, 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 yeah, I don't really think about that too too often. Maybe I should, but I don't. Thank you. Thank you so much. We are <laughs> we are so excited to have you here, and we're so excited for your future projects. And everyone, can we just give her like a major round of applause?
All right, and that's the panel with Amy Jo Johnson. Hopefully you enjoyed that, and hopefully you've enjoyed our coverage of the Wizard World 2016 Columbus Comic Con. Again, we had an amazing time, and uh, can't wait to do it again next year. I want to thank everyone over at Wizard World for letting us come cover the event, and a special thank you out to Abby Ferguson, who was more than accommodating to us. Thanks to Joseph Sillo Jr., Victor Dandridge, Richard Rivera, Nicholas Brendan, and Kevin Sorbo for taking time out of their busy schedule to talk with us for a few minutes. And I want to thank the guys from the Game Fix podcast right here on uh, Wizard World's Con Radio, Verlaine, Spanish, and Link. Uh, They were at the convention as well, and they did a panel, and uh, we got to hang out with them for a little while. And uh, afterwards, they came over to the studio here. We all recorded a a video. I had a lot of fun in doing so. And that's going to be released on our YouTube page here in the near future, hopefully within the next month or two. So keep an eye out for that. Uh, We had a lot of fun with them, made some uh, good friends. So for Lane, Spanish, and Link, thanks so much for uh, a good time. And uh, everybody, be sure to check out their podcast, Game Fix, on Con Radio. Uh, Spanish was telling me uh, the coverage they were getting today from the con. They managed to score an interview with Charles Martinet, who was the voice of Mario. So I am super jealous and cannot wait to hear that interview. And I uh, urge you guys to do the same. So keep an eye out for that. Be sure to go to our website, www.cannedairpodcast.com. Check out uh, all the pictures we took uh, from the weekend. We're going to have those on there. And Jack's going to have links to all the guests uh, we've interviewed to their websites, all their projects, and uh, all the video versions of everything you've heard here today. So be sure to check it out. If audio isn't good enough for you, there's a video alternative out there for you on our YouTube channel. You can find us on Twitter at CannedAirPod and on Instagram at Canned underscore Air. And be sure to stick around at the end of the episode for the audio to the Heroes Honoring Heroes ceremony I told you about at the very beginning of this episode. I think that about does it. So until next time, I am Jeremy Colley, and I thank you for listening. So from uh, Buffy, we
and Security Forces Technical Training and was recognized as a distinguished graduate. Senior Airman Lusick has been stationed at Wright and Patterson Air Force Base ever since he operated, operated as an entry controller and patrolman and is currently the 88th Security Forces Unit Scheduler, Unit Fitness Program Monitor and Instructor. He was recognized with an Airman Achievement Medal for aiding an abduction and sexual assault victim while on vacation with his girlfriend, Senior Airman Caitlin Alyssa Pescucci. John has been deployed twice, once to Kuwait City International Airport, operating as a base security and response force member, and the next time to Ford operating location, Persia, operating as flight line security. Thank you very much, John. We truly thank you for your service. Ladies and gentlemen, distinguished guests, and uh, Wizarding World representatives, I just wanted to take a moment on behalf of uh, all the airmen that you have today, recognizing us, I want to thank you. I want to tell you that I felt very welcome here today. It's a great experience. This is one of the coolest things I've ever been able to be a part of. Um, honestly, we couldn't be more proud of our service, and we're happy that people recognize that they're proud of us as well. Thank you. Have a great day. seven months 
before we uh, before we close, um, we, this group has asked us um, to make one more um, uh, to honor one more service member, and uh, he doesn't know where to do it. But I'd like to call Colonel Jeffrey Johnson up. You come over here and spray paint your name on the wall. But I don't wanna. What are you, chicken? Hold on there, boys. Wow, it's Flint. Instead of writing your name, write candairpodcast.com and help spread the word. Well, that's a great idea. Now we know. And knowing is half the battle. G.I. Joe! Sorbs. Coming up on 5-Minute News, I'm Anthony Davis. You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not, it's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because the news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased and essential world news daily.